Welcome to Linux Link Radio by Timesys, the podcast for embedded Linux developers who want to simplify and speed up their custom platform development. Visit timesys.com today for access to our podcast archives. Welcome back. This is uh, Machi here. I'm in our little studio in Pittsburgh with Gene. Oh, hi there. Uh, last week, we've um, covered the uh, one of the events, uh, Embedded Systems Conference uh, yeah. East in Boston. Yeah. And But prior to that podcast, we uh, we were talking about uh, various different tools um, that you can play with um, when you perform different functions um, on your embedded Linux system. Today, we're going to continue on that topic, and uh, we'll cover a number of, um, well, debugging techniques or or concepts around debugging. Yeah, and I also want to talk about the, the tools involved as well. There's, um, there's a, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of techniques, and some of them are really, I think, misunderstood by some folks that are new to, uh, new to embedded Linux or even been around embedded Linux for a while. So I figure we'll take some time and clear the air for some of those things as well. Yep. Uh, well, so uh, let's, let's start with the, the big one, right? <laughs> Which, uh, in case of Linux, is a GNU Linux debugger. Oh, yeah. For all intents and purposes, that's the, that's the default debugger that's out there. Um, it's, it's interesting, right? Uh, mm. you know, I mean, the, the GNU project is you know, separate from it's, – it's actually completely separate from GDB. Um, project-wise, mm-hmm. and it has been one of the other, you know, maybe the second largest GNU project out there in terms of people that use the tool for development. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, GDB started out as actually rather, not the, rather, but actually a fairly simple debugger and has been expanded to take care of multiple languages, multiple platforms. Yeah, I remember um, yeah. The, the first days when, when it was just performing simple functions yeah. and was not coupled. Well, at that time, there were, the systems were not as complex as they are today. Right? Yeah. Uh, today, you got multi-core processes. Uh, sure. You got you got so many new mechanisms uh, in both operating system and um, that people code at, at the application level. Yeah, and that, people expect a lot more asynchronicity. I don't know yeah. if that's a word or not, but people do expect a lot more asynchronicity out of their uh, debugger. And, and GDB is, I wouldn't say it's there yet, um, but it's moving in that direction uh, and it's doing a, a great job. Cause, and that's really important when you get into uh, well, multi-threaded, yes, but definitely, most certainly, multi-core systems. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, and you know, the GNU debugger is actually making. That's really tough to say. Huh? It's really making strides towards covering that that use case a lot better. Right. And well, in the initial days, it was covering only some languages, some development languages. Yeah. Um, but today, um, the the coverage um, is pretty wide. It, it supports C, definitely C plus plus. Oh yeah. It, it also you can debug um, programs written in Pascal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it supports also Fortran. Almost certainly Fortran. Um, and Objective C too. Objective C. Yeah. Um, and there's, I think, Ada as well on the list. Oh wow! Does uh, anyone still program in Ada? Well, I think that there are still some projects. Uh, I know, I know that's off the beaten path, but uh, I don't. You know, that's um, it's really interesting because for a while, maybe a couple of years ago, there was a spike in you know R traffic for people asking about Ada cross compilers for mm-hmm. I think PowerPC boards or whatever else, uh-huh. and um, and I thought, gee, that's interesting if you get the compiler, but. What in the world are you going to do for a debugger, right? Because the <laughs> I mean, right now, it is actually a very nice language, right? It's it, it's got all all of those um, definitions that are very useful when you want to control better your um, application, um, well, programming from a yeah. um, real time standpoint, yeah. for example. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. that was a segue. But, you I know, guess. but a lot of that too is, and a, a lot of that language support really is based upon the debugging format that's mm-hmm. used. Um, you know, I, I don't know if a lot of people actually dig in, but you know, the the typical file format produced on a Linux system is in what they call an ELF format, which mm. is um, oh, I forget what that's even say for. I think it's executable linking format. Uh, I don't like acronyms yeah. unless I can unpack them. <laughs> so, um, and and that has its little complement as a well. I think the guys had a sense of humor called a dwarf. Uh, I think officially, I don't think a dwarf stands for anything officially other than to make fun of ELF. And um, but 
but no, really, but that, that's where the um, that's where a lot of the debug information resides, mm-hmm. and that's how the the system can get in there and debug multiple languages and multiple. Um, well, not really multiple platforms, but that's definitely how you can get in there and describe multiple languages. Structures. Yeah, because Dwarf is actually fairly language agnostic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you build you build up uh, some associations between where things are in memory and its lines, and you know a bunch of other. I think they call it die records. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> die records. Yeah, die. But anyway, um, and there's a, well, there are, if you really want to dig in, there's a couple tools out there for reading die files, or sorry, for reading out the rec die records. Mm-hmm. There's like a Dwarf dump or something that'll, yeah. that'll dump that stuff out so to you. Helper applications that can. Yeah. Uh, allow you to analyze some of the um, data included in those files. Yeah. Well, I mean, just, I don't mean to get too off the track because I know we want to talk about, you know, debugging in the kernel, whatever else, but I, I just want to spend maybe a minute or two talking about the magic that makes yeah. that happen. Cause it really Absolutely. is, it really is a, a testament to software engineering that you're able to d- devise both a, you know, a system and a debugger that's able to debug you know, arbitrary source code, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, there's a huge amount of difference between C plus plus and, Pascal and Fortran, and and have that information right. stored in such a way that uh, uh, that one debugging tool right, right. can read that and yeah. and do a great job of debugging the program. Really, as a well, absolutely, because cool when stuff. you look at the application written in C that tend to be fairly complex today, yeah. um, and, and and you really start the debug process from um, very base baseline level from, mm-hmm. from addresses and, and references or some numbers, right? And yeah. you have to translate it back mm-hmm. upwards to uh, a specific uh, location in a, in a, in a file, which, mm-hmm. which is usually associated with either class implementation or yeah. some sort of function. So uh, taking that information that you get from the target yeah. and then abstracting that back to um, um, the specific line number in a code, mm-hmm. in a C++ code, mm-hmm. that's, that's a lot of um, work that the debugger has to do. And, and a lot of semantics and complex complexity inside uh, the debugger to to get that information oh, yeah. I mean, just all, the, all the complexity that C++ introduces with you know the scoping rules and this inheritance rules and those, those templates yeah. where you can code some <laughs> bugs you'll never find I swear um, it's yeah it's very very difficult work yeah um, so um, GDB is a console based application yeah. right so you don't have by default any um, any front end graphical interface, you yeah. you have console and it's a command line based tool yeah. that um, you control by issuing or entering and, into and a, C, right? <laughs> a specific subsystem, GDB subsystem, and yeah. then operating or controlling it with um, other commands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of people out there. I guess depending. I, I know that when we we sat down before, we said, well, we want to talk about the kernel debugging. So I'm I'm just going to say it again, but I mean, a lot of folks actually prefer the command. Uh, GDB, mm-hmm. and I guess for I guess I'm exposing my my gooiness, right? But it's not. I mean, it's it's interesting for a small program, but it's I've never really found it satisfying for something halfway decent size. Mm-hmm. Plus, we have a lot of people they'll dig in and they'll get uh, DD DDD, you know, 3D, so data display debugger. Yeah, I guess what it's called. Um, and that's really the I don't know the grandfather of front ends for GDB. And it really, I mean, it's, it's, it's wonderfully flexible. And as soon as you get your head around how it, you know, it divides a screen whenever you do watches mm-hmm. and it puts that panel up on the top, it, as soon as you get your head around how that works, it's wonderfully productive. It's, uh, it's really yeah, I mean, if you, if you have a fairly simple application or, or something written in, in, in C and let's say it's got a very limited number of threads, yeah. um, using GDB at the command line, um, it's not really a problem. And um, for uh, engineers that spend most of their careers um, developing code using command line, um, that's that's the preferred approach. Yeah. However, once you once you move to uh, very complex applications where you have 
well, I don't want to say hundreds, but tens of uh, threads running um, or that your application starts. Mm-hmm. And you want to be able to um, efficiently switch between um, the, the thread context and yeah. analyze um, threads-specific uh, stacks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's just, uh, you know, that, that, that friendliness, that um, ability to save you time yeah. by not having to um, type in a lot of commands to do a, a, a simple task, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, f- for me, the, the tipping point is, you know, you sit in command line, you type B space and then the symbol name and already to set a breakpoint. <laughs> so that a couple, even though it has tab completion, right, it depends on me remembering the symbol name. And I know it sounds really lame, but I can't remember. For, but then again, if you want to set a line on a certain a breakpoint on a certain line too, you have to you have to code that in by hand, and it's a line in a file. And right. if you're writing anything that's semi-complex, right, it's going it's going to have you know, again hundreds of files, uh, and so that that gets really difficult in order for you to set. So that, I mean, that's why a lot of people gravitate towards the front ends because it does make manipulating your breakpoints and your watch points. Uh, Substantially, well, it makes it manageable, in my opinion. It really does make it something you are able to do. I agree. And one aspect of that, um, why people, um, especially in embedded embedded space, tend to move to uh, uh, graphical interfaces, is is the fact that you cross debugging. I mean, you're oh, yeah. on a target platform, and, and um, well, you are running your application on target platform while um, operating a GDB on your on your host. Yeah. So uh, we, we can talk about this a bit more. But uh, yeah, let's talk about Curl. I'm sorry, we got well, off. Our, no, no. Let, let's know. actually still spend a few more minutes on GDB because I, I wanted to um, mention what you can do with uh, GDB. We talked about um, that it supports different languages. Yeah. That that it's got different um, formats that mm-hmm. um, that can support internally. But um, well, end users can use GDB to uh, track registers. Um, mm-hmm. At any given point in time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can uh, take a look at uh, various memory locations. Sure. You can um, place breakpoints, as you said, mm-hmm. right, and, and control the execution between the breakpoints. So there's there are those different commands like um, step in, step out, step over. Oh yeah. Uh, which are well essential. The 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 operations that you want to have um, at hand with any debugger. Yeah. Well, it also uh, has watch points built in as well, so yeah. you you can hang around and say, hey, whenever something changes. Uh, do something, you hit a break, and then you can set up some pass counts for that as well. Mm-hmm. So if you've if you've ended up you know coding yourself a nasty little problem, and you know that you know variable foo hits you know five and variable bar hits eight, and whenever that happens, you know hit a break, you know cause a breakpoint because something squirrely happens thereafter, mm-hmm. you can get things set up so you can. Right, do debugging without having to you know, hit that continue button 14 times as you watch seven <laughs> variables change until things get in the right condition. Right? Yep. I mean, that's half of doing debugging is, yep. is setting things up so you can get right to the problem opposed to right. you know, attempting to run things in a random mode. So uh, absolutely. And, and what, what, you, what else you can do with uh, GDB is you can attach to a running thread. Yeah. Um, so uh, let, let's talk about the modes in which um, GDB can be used because mm-hmm. there, are, there are a couple of them, right? Mm-hmm. There's one where you start a GDB at the beginning of uh, when you start your application, yeah. and then you just walk through uh, the execution by running from mm-hmm. a breakpoint mm-hmm. to a breakpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, there is the second approach where um, you can attach GDB to already running thread. Yes. Right? So that's very useful if, if um, at any point in time you want to see if your application is still performing well or you want to take a look at a, a, a count well, or a number assigned to a specific variable. If that mm-hmm. variable is a counter of some sort, right? You want to see if that's if that gets reset periodically as expected. Mm-hmm. So or there's other times. I mean, my classic case for doing that is whenever I'm convinced that a debugger is somehow interfering with my debugging session, mm-hmm. right? Because whenever you get into anything that involves multiple threads of execution, that sort of things, you, you know, the debugger itself can have a mm-hmm. great effect on how you know the ordering problems, but or the the order in which things run. And if you have a race condition, the debugger itself will 
either introduce, introduce or suppress the race condition. Yeah. And the, the frustrating thing is what actually suppresses your race condition because yeah. then it makes it harder to, you know, harder to find and harder to bug. Right. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's one of the great things for attach. So um, the, the, the third um, aspect that I wanted to mention is that you can uh, take a look at what went wrong with a specific program after the crash occurred. So what yeah, you let's do talk is, about that. Yeah, because this is actually uh, – um, th- that's that that moves also to a kernel land where where you can analyze the kernel um, core dumps, but every application when it crashes it can generate a core dump, mm-hmm. um, which is really a um, state of um, memory or really a contents of memory um, stored into a, a, a single text file. Yeah, um, and with GDB you can load that same executable on your host machine okay. a- along with the with the core dump the map of uh, the environment in which application was executing at the at time when it crashed mm-hmm. and you can you can pinpoint a problem inside your application yeah. without having physically access to, to the target does it show you the line that it faults on I think so yeah you can you can tra- trace it back to a um, um, specific section of code okay. inside the application where the fault occurred yeah so it'll, it'll have the equivalent of BT right yeah. so so you can see at least what the stack is mm. whatever so that's really cool I imagine for the kernel, yeah. that's nearly an essential right, Absolutely. tool. Yeah. Well, I know we want to talk a little bit about, and this is probably your, your forte more than mine, but we want to talk about kernel debugging. Because uh, there's, you know, a flavor. I mean, post, I mean the, the, using the core file is a great way to do postmortem debugging. Well, uh, so before we jump to kernel debugging, I wanted to quickly close on oh, GDB. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, it's okay. But I uh, just wanted to bring up another aspect of GDB, which is um, very useful in a cross-debugging, which uh-huh. is a GDB server. And why people tend to use a GDB server, right? Or why GDB server is so useful. And one very big argument is mm-hmm. that um, to include GDB on the target root file system, you, you have to um, have at least 2.5 megabytes of uh, storage. Oh, yeah. And it's, it, it takes a lot of space and memory. It's uh, If you do a native debugging on a target, that's usually fairly slow. So uh, to support a cross-debugging, um, there's another another aspect of GDB called well or program yeah. a GDB server which is really a kind of like a daemon that runs on a target yeah. but the value here is that um, it, it's only 40 kilobytes yeah right so it's very easy to include that in any root file system even if you constrained with a footprint uh, you can still include the GDB server and have that access to the target yeah. Um, What's important, I guess, at this point to mention, GDB server has, of course, it's, it's like a stub, we'll call it a stub program. Right? So it's a stub program that runs on the remote host, yeah. and then it needs some sort of communication protocol mm-hmm. to talk back to the... Actual you know, talk, GDB. Yeah, talk to the, the, where you're doing the debugging. So in that case, it has, um, uh, it, it can use a serial line, mm-hmm. uh, or, and most people, you can use serial, but most people choose to use the network connection. Right. And the GDB protocol itself is weighty. As, mm-hmm. as I was describing, because there's a lot of data that needs to go back and forth between, between the two. two. Yeah. So if you're using a serial line, even if it's a fast, we can quote my fingers, you know, as fast as a fast serial line can be, it's still rather slow compared to the amount of data that needs to be shipped back and forth right. in order to get a successful debugging session. Yeah. And that, another great aspect of having GDB on a target is that. Or you mean GDB server? GDB server, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Thanks. That's okay. um, is that um, application on a target can uh-huh. be stripped out of uh, symbols and it doesn't need to include uh, debugging symbols in the executable, right? So um, 
if, if you space constrained, you can still have your application stripped down to a smallest possible size. Yeah. Um, and by having a GDB server on the target, you can always attach to uh, to to that application. Know, and, but you mean on the you mean on the on the host though on your development host? That's where the symbols reside. Exactly. And you can load the symbols from that file. So the requirements would be such that on a on a host machine, you have precisely uh, the same application in executable format mm. with all the debugging symbols and um, all the necessary information embedded in it. So. Yeah. Uh, for debugging purposes, that's ideal, right? Because yeah. if you have a requirement to have a small footprint application in yeah. a field, but you want to still be able to see what's going on when, it, when you know you see some signs of uh, wrongdoing <laughs> <laughs> um, by application, yeah. then it's fairly easy to uh, connect and yeah. um, and check it out. I mean, there's there might be some security um, challenges here. Um, because once you have uh, a daemon listening on a specific port... Yeah, you're, you're open for something. You're open for something. Yeah. But um, that's definitely a, a possibility. Yeah. Well, you know what? The other thing, too, is if, if you find yourself in that environment, one, one word of warning yeah. from someone who's done it themselves, right? <clears throat> at least at the very beginning, don't set yourself for, like, O3 optimization. Yeah. Because, yes, you might have something on the on your board. And, yes, it might be you know, as tiny as it can be. But... Holy cow! It's probably undebuggable yeah. uh, with with the optimizations that happen. I'm not saying in all cases, but uh, whenever you use the the high optimizations, it will re- it does enough code reordering that the association between line of program right mm-hmm. and you know source line and output is different enough that you know single stepping through something really won't be that helpful. But you can debug on like a function by function basis, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, when I found myself in those sort of pickles, I usually end up setting my my breakpoint right. To the end of the function, <laughs> right? But we could, well, you stop, right? Because yeah, because what happens is it has to return there because somewhere in the great mystery of how, whatever the you know it's all that loop unrolling and all that other right. you know, fancy computer science stuff, right? That it's no use trying to single step through. You, you, you can't, yeah. and so you set your 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 uh, debugger for the return, and um, and just watch and see what happened afterwards and try to fish out the problems. I mean, if anything else, it's probably one defense for the. Um, uh, if you had, to, if you ever, if you started out doing Pascal, um, which okay, a lot of people have, you can admit it. <laughs> well, it was one of my first languages. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of the things that sort of beat into you is that you can only have one exit point, right? Out of your well, you, you, well, the language itself, I think, forced you to have one exit point, unless you use that, you know, uh, Turbo Pascal variant. I think that snuck in that. Yeah. But, but no, but if you if you get it set up with one exit point and you do that by habit, it's it makes your life a lot easier when debugging because at least you have one exit point. You know, you can check. You know where to. Yeah. eventually place a um, breakpoint and stop the debugger and then take a look at the state of uh, your environment. Yeah. yeah, and then fish around. I guess one thing I did want to mention is in the distant early warning department uh, thing is there's an interesting project because it's, it's coming out. It's, it's, being, it's on Google Code or whatever. It's called Chronicle. Mm-hmm. This is actually pretty cool. It's a, it, it hooks onto Valgrin, which we talked about we a couple. Last time. Yeah, a couple. I learned how to pronounce it correct. I, I was saying it wrong this whole time. Cool. And, um, but no, it hooks onto Valgrin and it works as a uh, recorder on of, of the uh, on the target system, mm-hmm. so it'll record all the register state, all the memory state, keep that in a great big file, and then it'll have a playback setup. They have a, I think they're they're hooking onto Eclipse like everyone is nowadays. I guess we talked about DDD, but there also are GDB front ends right. in Eclipse as well. Mm-hmm. But it hooks into Eclipse, and then you can play back your debugging session, and that's really handy for embedded work, and it's you know extremely handy for whenever you have 
you know, race type conditions you need mm-hmm. to check out. Because mm-hmm. one of the, the one of the things about GDB that's I wouldn't call it unfortunate, but just the nature of the architecture is that it, even though it can debug something running multiple threads, yeah. it isn't what you would describe as being a multi-threaded debugger, right? Because right? any breakpoint will stop all the other threads from running. Right, it will, it will suspend all the threads. Yeah, and I, I don't mean to, it's not my point is not to ding uh, mm-hmm. uh, GDB, which I said is by all means excellent uh, software, but that is a limitation that you run into, mm-hmm. and you know something like a, a tool that just does a recording would do a much better job of letting you see what threads are yeah, running and just keep track of what's going on. A nice complement to GDB to basically um, provide that additional level of um, debugging, right? Yeah. Because, because as you said, um, it can be used in, a, in, a, in an environment or scenario where um, you want to have all the other tasks or threads uh, executing in a system while, while you watch execution on a specific thread. Yeah. As like anything else, it's like it's, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, the, the reason why multi-threaded work is so hard, right? And the reason why, in order to do it well, you know, you either need to have years of practice mm-hmm. or years of practice. One of those two things <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is that you really have to be able to keep running in your mind all the other threads that happen to be running. So it would be you know something like a tool like Chronicle would be really great because then you could run one thread at least grok what's happening and then step to the other thread or the two other threads you think are trouble causers, right? Right. Um, of course, because it's not your code that's wrong, right? The thread's misbehaving. <laughs> you know how that works. So, and so you could step through and, and at least see what's going on there and keep keep things running uh, in your in your mind. I think it'd be a great help um, out there because that I mean that is a, that is a, a deficit uh, uh, to GDB with its current architecture yeah. and that it, so you can debug multiple threads, but any stop, any pause pauses all threads from running. Right. Um, so you can either create or suppress some interesting race conditions that some other tools would be better at helping you find. Um, so we talked uh, primarily, I guess, so far uh, about debugging an application, right? Because GDB Server can help you out with only application debugging. Well, yeah. Before we leave the topic, I have. Okay. I did. Um, hey, I did, it was your topic. <laughs> in my minutes of preparation, but th- there's one thing I did. I did want to didn't mention that is for as great GDB Server is uh, yeah. for remote debugging. Uh, my first recommendation is don't use it for debugging uh, your application. There, you know, for the greatest for the great part greatest part a lot of the application code that out, that's out there is not you know target specific architecture right? specific architecture specific, there's yeah. no reason why you can't compile it and write some scaffolding code mm-hmm. and have some uh, debug cases built up around your around your code so that you don't have to debug it remotely well but then um i guess you would have to build your own test framework on a host um for hardware specific functions yeah yeah, sometimes. Well, well, but, but not always, right? I mean, there are certain hardware-specific functions that you can still separate your. I mean, if, you, if you're running a co- if you're running code that <clears throat> you know counts a loop, mm-hmm. you know that processes some data that creates you know, who knows what some network traffic, you could probably stub the, the hardware part out. But even for a lot of Linux systems, you know, if you have a something that's monitoring a network line, yeah. you can still you don't have to emulate it. You can still put on your PC the same rough right. equivalent. And let's say you can get perfect because you're still going to have to do debugging on the target. But right. there's a lot of code that you, you can get away with debugging right on your host. And that's, that's probably that, the most efficient route. That, that's a very good point because if the API um, that you, your application is exercising is also present on your host machine, there, there's no difference. Yeah. And, and it's uh, that much faster, right? Because usually you, you, your host is like, what, 3 gigahertz Pentium these days or um, dual or quad-core oh, uh, yeah. processor. Oh, yeah. So uh, the speed with which you would um, develop and debug that application is much greater. Greater than than executing it on um, 500 megahertz. Um, sure. Target. Well, what it does too is it is it shortens the it shortens the, the the loop. Right. There's an edit. 
you know, compile the bug loop, yeah. right? That happens. And then you know, no matter how good that target machine is, uh, you still have to get the code on the target machine and begin that session and then begin your editing and then step through the problem, you know, the cause of the problem. And whenever you work remotely, you're running over, you know, a serial protocol mm-hmm. that is on a slower machine and you're going to pay for that. Mm-hmm. And you want to keep your head in the, the, your head in what you're doing. And that's break at least for someone like me. Was what, a well, so three second attention span. Uh, um, that's really I, important. I agree with you and disagree to some degree. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because uh, when you work with a target platform, um, well, first you don't have to, develop that um, additional layer. If, if your application, for some reason, is attached to a, to a target-specific hardware, right? Yeah. And, and there, are, there are tools right now in the market that um, hide those complexities of cross-environment from you. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that loop of um, coding, compiling, uh, trying, or debugging on a target is um, much faster right now to yeah. execute. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, but a- again, if you have a, a very large application that takes a lot of time to initialize on a target, and every single time you have to load it mm-hmm. entire, entirely on a target, mm-hmm. and um, by any means it makes more sense to execute it on a host. Yeah. And, and plus, you know, the QA guys like the idea that you have some test harnesses built up to it, right? <laughs> That's true. I mean, it, it, yeah, it's... It's, it's but QA, QA would always look at the target, not at the host. Yeah, and they'd always complain too. <laughs> no matter what you did, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be right. Yeah. So uh, we talked about applications. So now let's switch to a topic that um, you wanted to spend some time on as well. Which I think is we have four point one minutes for that. Uh, oh gosh, uh, are you already flagged? Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll keep going. All right. So kernel debugging. Yeah. Um, in the past, um, one of the most popular open source approaches to debugging a kernel, mm-hmm. and um, actually very, very, very popular even these days, is yeah. called Print K. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, not only is it popular, but it's effective. It's right? very effective, <laughs> and uh, it, it's it's very simple. Um, you just put additional print case across <laughs> the kernel code, and um, that way you can take a look at various variables and. Mm-hmm. You, you're not troubled by multi-threaded or anything. Just Infinite flexibility with respect to how things are printed. You know, complete flexibility with respect to where your your information is, uh, where you can you know gather information. Depending the way you put that print, K, be prepared to analyze um, tens of pages of output. Yeah, <laughs> well, uh, that's that's great as well too, right? Yeah, uh, all more, the information at your fingertips. Better than le- yeah. So, um, but there's there's um, in the past um, from a high level. Um, Linux kernel debugging standpoint, there, there was a uh, part of a Linux kernel code called uh, kernel GNU debugger, KGDB, I guess. Yeah, KGDB. Um, which um, has been used in a cross environment, uh-huh. um, meaning um, once KGDB is uh, built and enabled in the Linux kernel, it was connecting back to a GDB on a host machine, mm-hmm, expo- mm-hmm. exposing the same set of data, uh, same kind of information as GDB server yeah. does from the application standpoint. Yeah. When- Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, well, I just want to add that allowing this way um, customers to pick to peek into um, um, the Linux kernel execution. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, again, some pitfalls, um, yeah. saying that we've mentioned for application, which is you suspend one thread, um, all threads in mm-hmm. the system stop, mm-hmm. uh, which might be troublesome and in some scenarios can cause the uh, kernel to uh, be fairly unstable Yeah. Um, because, because of those timings, which are very frequently very important to how the operating system uh, executes on the target. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Well, the other thing too is, and until recently, and it's, I know it's not widely supported, is, is uh, KGDB only ran over serial, hmm. which makes a lot of sense if you think about the amount of work it takes to set up a TCP connection, yep. right? I mean, that makes perfect sense composed to, compared to a serial connection. And a lot of it was the fact that the infrastructure in the kernel for an early serial connection hmm. was already there, right? And you sort of camped on, you sort of hooked onto that infrastructure. Um, but I know recently they, uh, but not for architectures, uh, uh, debugging over the uh, uh, Ethernet port has been introduced. Yep. So, that, I mean, that speeds up um, uh, some of the debugging. Mm-hmm. And then I guess in terms of limitations, too, is you're limited to code that occurs after kernel start, right? right. So, and I guess uh, exactly. so kernel start is the kernel entry point, right? It's the main, right. I'm making quotes with my fingers here, it's the, the main function of the kernel. So if something happens in that early stages of kernel initialization, you're not going to be able to pick it up with KGDB. That's correct. Um, the uh, The problem about KGDB, though, these days is mm-hmm. that uh, it seems like the project has been abandoned. Although yeah. um, there are some posts, recent posts um, on the KGDB um, site um, suggesting that there is some new development going on. Um, but um, as far as I know, um, the active support or active development that um, I'm aware of has stopped with 2.6.18, yeah. kernel, yeah, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. But that, that project has always run in fits and starts, right? It seems like there's a, a year lull and then a, a huge amount of activity and then a lull and then a lot of activity. So, yeah, so it must be in one of those lulls again. Well, I think that uh, part of the reason why it wasn't um, so popular was that, uh, again, engineers that do Linux kernel development, they do prefer to uh, use a print case. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right? It's, it's so handy. Um, it's uh, <laughs> already implemented in the Linux kernel. All you have to do is insert it in specific parts that interest you the most, mm-hmm. your device driver perhaps, yep. and um, rebuild the kernel. Yeah. And the, the other thing too is, I mean, so debugging, like, even though it's a lot easier now, it, with debugging something like a kernel module, because the kernel module in essence is relocated code, right? Mm. The code starts up and the kernel figures out where it goes in memory and does you know, simple fix-ups and everything else. Uh, debugging that with something like GDB was was difficult right uh was difficult and print k is actually a lot easier mm-hmm. uh, uh with respect to that you know what you need to do to instrument your code and that's easy right to you just do a search for print k and knock them all out when you're ready that combined with other mechanisms that are really available today in the linux kernel um under kernel hacking options yeah. uh, make it a very self um, aware operating system yeah uh, you can uh debug um, shared IRQ handlers. Um, mm-hmm. So if you write a device driver that is um, hooked onto one of those shared lines, you want to make yeah. sure that the device driver knows how to handle uh, interrupts coming from other sources, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. interrupts that are not intended for your device driver but yeah. because you're on a shared line, you yeah. have to somehow handle it. Um, so there is that option in the Linux kernel. There are um, options in the Linux kernel that help you um, track semantic violations for uh, real-time and just standard mutexes. Oh, wow. Um, so when you enable that and um, your code uh, violates some of those semantics and will be flagged out right away, there are um, um, options to debug spin locks. If you have an SMP machine, it's mm-hmm. uh, fairly easy to um, then pinpoint uh, which spin locks have not been initialized or, um, again, semantics violations for some of the spin locks. Mm. Um, I have a, a short cheat list here that I'm going through. Um, so no, it's all for memory. <laughs> just wanted to make that clear. Um, the, uh, there's also an option to debug uh, spin lock sleep, uh, which uh, means that if you have a um, part of a code that um, tries to sleep while um, any spin lock is being held, that's very bad from uh, execution. You really like to right? have that for user land, right? Because that, that's, that's a famous a stunt. 
Useful. Yeah, that's, well, it's a famous stunt of mine. At least <laughs> <laughs> that, stuff I've screwed up. That, that's how you do the latency trick, right? Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, if if you sleep while holding any of a mutual exclusion, that's very bad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's how you fix timing problems. What are you talking about? <laughs> that's worked for me. I don't know how many times. Of course, it bombs when it goes out in the field. It's someone else's problem, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, and there's also another. Um, area of the next kernel where you can do um, early debugging, which is uh, precisely what you were talking about, the, the early initialization code that happens mm-hmm. in the next kernel. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can enable some of the debug um, output uh, early area. Yeah. Uh, it can be dangerous, though, because um, depending on what you've changed in that area, that might make your kernel unusable mm-hmm. and fairly difficult to track what yeah. the problem is. But then there's another debug, um, debugging uh, possibility here, right, which is yeah. a hardware-assisted debugging. Oh, yeah, the, the classic, the, the JTAG debugger. The JTAG debugger, which yeah. Are, we, we get a lot of people that, um, and it's interesting that they'll, they'll come and say, well, I'm doing kernel debugging, therefore I need a JTAG. And this is, I know we get, but these are people that are, I guess, fairly new, but they believe that that's necessary for kernel debugging. Hmm. And, um, and, and it takes a while for us to, to really tell them what a JTAG debugger is good for, uh, for them to get their head around it. Because a JTAG, well, JTAG is a, geez, I think it's a joint test action group, right? So oh, it's a, it, you're good. You it's remember a, all those. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I don't like to use acronyms unless I can unpack them, right? So, and that's out of, I think it's a standard out of like 85 or something. Is uh, You know, the first chip that did that, I think, was a 486. Oh, 8046 wow. was the first, yeah. Oh, good 486. It was the, was the first thing that did JTAG. And, well, I mean, what it was there for, I mean, JTAG was a, what they called a boundary scan protocol. Mm-hmm. So it was there so that you could plug something in and say, do I have continuity? Mm-hmm. Across my circuits, or you know, do I have an open loop? Pro- you know, yeah. Basically, yeah, it's basically a for electrical problem, yeah. right? To make sure that the board was wired up correctly, right. and they snuck in, right? The software guy showed up <laughs> and ruined a perfectly good, right, system by introducing some some boundary scan logic, and even like a, I think it's a, they have a boundary scan descriptor language that will you know report the pieces and you know that are happen to be on the, the the chain and everything, so you can really get a really good picture of the system right. through this JTAG protocol yeah um, so it's very easy to attach a software probe and, and take yep. a look at different um yep. states of uh, various hardware components um and, and today um almost all jtags that i know uh, they are gdb aware so um you can use the same interface to talk to uh jtag hardware oh yeah and, and take a look at the same information registers memory yeah. um state of different um well not variables but uh, you, you, you can really navigate through the code on the target using um, hardware probe. Yeah. Well, the, the interesting thing, and where you got the uh, the other uh, fl- flag from the uh, uh, yeah, saying we're way we're way over. So, it's, but wow. who cares? So the other thing that's um, um, it's just too bad, right? So the other thing, because this is important stuff, I think. But I guess the other thing that's important about, well, I guess about JTAG is that it's still a prototype like saying serial, right? This is the first thing. It's serial, and usually it works with like a small uh, ICE. Um, yeah. Uh, device right mm-hmm. and which is a uh, um, in circuit emulator right that's mm-hmm. that's ice and so what uh, what something like that does is it really emulates the the, the hardware and it's not like the ice it's not like ice debuggers from like 1980 or whatever right. i mean these things usually the, the the microcontroller has a lot of the software on it has a little bit of a module on it so really the this the device, the in-circuit emulator you get, really just manages the debugging stuff on the target, right? Yeah, so there's like a firmware embedded on the EEPROM yeah. that um, emulates 
Yeah. So, so it's not quite like the ice of, of days before where you'd actually get this big computer that had, you remember that had like the die for the computer, you just plug it in and it in software emulated the, the chip, but yeah. it's not like that anymore. Um, and, um, but the, the, the more important thing to mention about those sort of hardware debuggers is that they're designed to run without address translation, mm. right? So once the memory management starts up, they yeah. lose a lot of their utility. Right. Um, and even though you can force them to be somewhat aware. Um, and you know, the interesting thing is once you support you know, hardware debugging, it doesn't really matter at that point what it's debugging. I mean, it, it knows the symbol table and really can debug anything that happens that, that it knows where it is in memory uh, because yeah. you're talking right to the, to the hardware. Yeah. And like GDB, you know, server, KGDB, that's, you know, mm-hmm. sort of gets in there on a software level, right? Yeah. See what's going on. Right. So uh, with KGDB um, or GDB on the target, yeah. um, all you can do is um, look at this state as, well, the assumption is that the system is still in a working order, yes. stable, that it can transmit the data. Yes. The minute it goes down, mm-hmm. you're doomed. <laughs> the only way That's you true, can yeah. do is try to uh, backpedal a bit and put the print key be- before uh, it the crashes, doom, yeah. before the doom, hoping that that's the right place, right? Yeah. It's, again, going back to what we talked about earlier, finding that uh, end of a loop where you can put the breakpoint and this is my print key, let's check yeah. it. With JTAG, you, you can just simply um, take a look at the state of registers when the crash occurs. Yes. Um, they are very useful to uh, debug bootloaders. So oh, yeah. uh, if you write the code that initializes your card, or you're adjusting an open source um, um, bootloader, yeah. um, JTAG comes in very yeah. handy. Yeah. But you do it usually once um, per project, completely at the beginning, and then and then you move to a software assisted debugging more than hardware. Yeah. And for the most part, once you're once your kernel, once you get the kernel started, all that, all that architecture specific startup code, um, you're probably better off with printk at that point. And yeah. I, by no means I'm just discrediting because the JTAG, debu- you know, these hardware debuggers, they are the perfect tools, right? Yeah. For I mean, they're fantastic tools, but well, they're not general purpose debugging tools. And that's the if you have one handy and you you don't mind uh, setting it up for your system and you don't have to move the system or share the system with other developers. <laughs> um, well, then then absolutely keep it this way, and and you you'll get um, you'll get the return for for the money that you paid for the. Oh yeah, so yeah. I guess it's, it's a it's a you know I, I think when I began this little webinar series is it's the right tool for a certain job, right? Mm-hmm. It's not uh, it's not the right tool for any debugging job. Um, so I guess the, I think it's what we I think it's what we wanted to, I think it's what we wanted to cover. I have a few other things, but I think it was yeah, just that's, uh, we we I guess reached the point of forty minutes, which is un- very unusual for our podcast. So yeah. apologize for uh, if we if we consume more of your time than usual. Yeah, I, I am. So uh, the other thing too is this weekend we're heading out to the Ontario Linux Fest. Oh yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so or, or as you call it, the Oktoberfest. <laughs> right? is, is you, there you go. Somehow Linux in Ontario sort of got cropped. Well, we're going to take our microphones and, um, of course, all the systems that we have here in our little studio, and we'll try to record a, um, a few interviews and podcasts. Yeah. Well, they have some great attend- Yeah, they have some show. great people speaking there, and I, I, so I'd love to get some of the speakers, and you know, I'd love to get some of the folks in that are that are attending because there's mm-hmm. there's a huge amount of Linux activity yeah. in, in you know Ontario, and there's a lot of embedded activity happening. There's a lot of process control folks and a lot of embedded work there. So, so if you're at Ontario Linux Fest, uh, please uh, try to look look for us. Uh, we'll be somewhere over there um we don't know exactly where um, our little studio will be located but we'll make sure that um somehow we're visible yeah and if you're in you know, if you're in toronto and you you have ontario, you know. um uh, well tor- toronto's oh. in ontario oh okay is it yeah that's what i've been told you're right 
I know it's I'm, in Toronto, Ontario. I, I know I'm an American, right? So I have <laughs> so I have no idea what's what's slightly you know, north of the line. But I'm no, I'm pretty certain Toronto is right there in Ontario. But so um, uh, no, no. But if so, if you're in the Toronto, because I know it's in the I think it's in the Congress Center outside of Toronto. Yeah. Um, uh, stop by, right? If you feel like geeking around, uh, it, I mean, if you look at them, talk to the organizers, whatever else, it's like a fantastic way to you know geek out for Saturday. Yep. If you have any. Um Comments, uh, suggestions, uh, we would like to hear from you. Uh, please send those to uh, podcast.tamsu.com. We have received uh, quite a few of uh, comments re- last time. Oh, yeah. Uh, be- because we've run over time today, we, we just didn't address some of the, some of the questions we got. But I still we'll like make another, sure that yeah. um, we'll address those next time. Yeah, as I said, podcast.tamsu.com. We get a lot of mail, and we try to answer. If you write to us, I, we really try to answer you uh but we get a lot of mail but I, which i find incredible right that yeah. a lot of people write in and and um but, but uh we don't get to respond to all of it uh the hate mail we definitely respond to by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um but it, so anything you know, feel feel free to write in podcast at timesist.com just we'd love to hear from you great thanks a lot oh, and see you in the next two weeks this podcast was brought to you by timesys are you new to embedded linux looking for a way to simplify your next project the Linux Link service by TimeSys makes it easy to build your custom embedded Linux platform. Go to TimeSys.com today or call 866-392-4897 to learn more.